And the Oscar goes to... We have Oscar results for you. Hollywood celebrates immigrant, queer, and Asian hopes with Oscar wins. This is proof that dream big and dreams do come true. I'm Sasha Pfeiffer. That's Leila Fadel, and this is Up First from NPR News. The Biden administration is shoring up customers of a collapsed bank at no cost to taxpayers. How does the rise and fall of Silicon Valley Bank tell the story of the tech sector today? And Iowa is still the first in the nation to nominate a Republican presidential candidate. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis hasn't even announced a bid yet, but he's seen as a favorite. What's former President Donald Trump hoping to accomplish there? Stay with us. We'll give you the news you need to start your day. The Biden administration has stepped in to save Silicon Valley Bank's customers. It's an extraordinary effort to contain the fallout of the collapsed financial institution from spreading to other parts of the U.S. banking sector. Treasury officials say all the bank's customers will be able to get all their funds at no cost to taxpayers. And HSBC said it is purchasing the U.K. subsidiary of the bank for just one pound. Wow. NPR tech reporter Bobby Allen joins us now to discuss all that's happening. Hi, Bobby. Hey, Layla. So what exactly is the federal government doing to avert a crisis here? So federal regulators are making sure that customers who have collectively billions of dollars in the bank, that they will be able to get their money, right? So many of these customers are tech startups that said they'd have to cease operations and wouldn't be able to pay their employees unless they could access their funds. Now, federal insurance typically covers up to $250,000 when a bank fails, but more than 90% of Silicon Valley Bank accounts were above that amount. So Treasury officials took the pretty extraordinary step here, Layla, of waiving that insurance cap. Okay, Bobby, so no taxpayer money. Where does this money come from? So the money's coming from this insurance fund that banks pay into. And because this bank is being bailed out, it means the fund is going to be pretty depleted. Mm. Okay, so Biden administration officials seem intent on saying this is not a bailout. But is it a bailout? Right. I mean, in the traditional sense, no, this isn't the 2008 financial crisis bailout that relied on hundreds of billions of dollars of taxpayer money. That's not the case here. Banks are not being rescued here. In another sense, though, it is the government taking emergency actions to save the bank's depositors. And it's quite notable that the government's intervention is a huge lifeline for the tech industry, right? An industry that historically has been pretty hostile to government regulation and oversight. So tell me more about that. What did the bank do with all the new money it had? Well, the bank took a big chunk of this new money and invested it in long-term government securities. And This is where the trouble really started. High interest rates have meant those investments in government securities were not paying off. And at the same time, tech startups were running out of cash and having a really hard time fundraising. So they kept going back to the bank and pulling more and more money out. That created a crisis. So the bank said, oh, God, what are we going to do? They decided to sell off a massive amount of these government securities to make sure they just had enough money in the bank which triggered all sorts of panic. And customers pulled out $42 billion on Thursday alone. And soon after, the bank went under. So what's next for Silicon Valley Bank? 
So there's a lot of question around who is to blame. Prominent venture capitalists like Peter Thiel encourage companies to yank money out of the bank, and that has led some to argue that venture capitalists helped fuel this bank run that put the bank under. Others say Silicon Valley Bank executives made unwise investment decisions and that they should be held responsible. President Biden hinted that the administration isn't done looking into this. He said that, quote, those responsible for the mess will be held to account, but the situation is a big relief to customers who today can get their money. NPR tech reporter Bobby Allen, thanks so much. Thanks, Layla. One movie swept last night's Academy Awards. And the Oscar goes to everything, everywhere, all at once. Everything, everywhere. Everything, everywhere, all at once. A historic night for a distinctive, even radical movie set in the multiverse with an almost entirely Asian cast. NPR's Mandalit Del Barco was in Hollywood for the awards and joins us now. Good morning, Mandalit. Good morning, Layla. Okay, so everything, everywhere, all at once made history. It sure did. It won Best Picture and also Best Director and Original Screenplay for The Daniels, Shineart, and Kwan. You know, backstage, they told us their film was about joy and absurdity and chasing your bliss. Everything Everywhere won seven awards in all, including two for fan favorites Michelle Yeoh, the first Asian to win the Best Actress Award, and Best Supporting Actor Ki Hui Kwan. Dreams do come true. And ladies, don't let anybody tell you you are ever past your prime. Never give up. My journey started on a boat. I spent a year in a refugee camp. And somehow, I ended up here on Hollywood's biggest stage. You know, this film has been championed as a feel-good movie, and so many people were rooting for Michelle Yeoh and Ki Hui Kwan, Mm -hmm. both in the business for so many years. It was really charming to see presenter Harrison Ford hugging Kwan on stage, having started out as a child actor short round in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And Layla, after last year's Oscars drama with Will Smith slapping Chris Rock on stage, well, this was a very positive night. No slaps. Yeah. (laughs) Very inspiring words we just heard. Tell us more about some of the other big winners last night. Well, there were definitely some upsets. You know, Jamie Lee Curtis beating out the Black Panther's Angela Bassett for Best Supporting Actress. Brendan Fraser winning Best Actor for The Whale and not Austin Butler for playing Elvis. Netflix's German anti-war epic All Quiet on the Western Front picked up four awards, Best International Feature, Cinematography, Original Score, Production Design. 92 years ago, the original film version won the top Oscar. But perhaps the, the, the most timely honor went to Best Documentary winner Navalny about Russian oppositional leader Alexei Navalny, who is a political prisoner. Here was his wife, Yulia, on stage. Alexei, I am dreaming the day when you will be free. And our country will be free. Stay strong, my love. Backstage, we were told that Navalny's in solitary confinement and unwell. It was one of the more sobering moments in an otherwise upbeat celebratory night. Now, I want to go back to the Best Picture winner, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, one more time. What do this year's Oscars say about the larger conversation about inclusion and diversity in Hollywood? Well, yeah, there are still real struggles for racial, ethnic, and gender representation in the film industry. But this year, there was a lot of diversity among the winners. 
Now Hollywood has crowned its best picture, a film about an older woman, a queer film, an Asian-American story. Ruth Carter became the first black woman to win two Oscars. And it was also a big year for South Asian artists. From India, the song from the movie RRR beat out songs by Brianna and Lady Gaga. And the composer of Natu Natu accepted the award, saying he had grown up in India listening to The Carpenters. RRR has to win pride of every Indian and must put me on the top of the world. That's NPR's Mandalit Del Barco in Culver City, California. Thanks, Mandalit. Thank you. Former President Donald Trump is in Iowa today for the first time since he announced his latest presidential bid. Iowa is still the first state in the nation to formally nominate a Republican presidential candidate every four years, so Trump knows he has to show up to win there. That's why Iowa Public Radio's Clay Masters has been following all the presidential hopefuls around the Hawkeye State, and he joins us now. Good morning, Clay. Good morning, Layla. So what are you seeing in Iowa as the race gets underway there? Well, it was a bit of a slow start, but things are starting to pick up here. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis made a trip to the state on Friday. Now, he has not officially announced he's running, but he's on a book tour as he thinks about a run, a classic pre-announcement move. Mm -hmm. Uh, Former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley is a declared candidate. She just wrapped up a second trip to Iowa last week. And then, of course, former President Trump will be here today. His visit comes on the heels of the news, you know, last week that he's been invited to testify in front of a New York grand jury, a move that's widely understood to mean he could face criminal charges. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly the folks who will be seeing Trump at the Adler Theater in Davenport today won't think much of that. But I have been speaking with Iowans coming to some of these early events, uh, and they're saying that they're kind of ready to just move on from Trump. So what are you hearing from Iowa voters in these early campaign visits? I mean, you mentioned some are ready to move on from Trump. Yeah, there was a new Des Moines Register poll last week that shows Iowa Republicans remain committed to Trump. want to make that clear. But the former president is seeing his support erode a little bit. Keep in mind, uh, we're still like 10 months or so away from the Iowa caucuses and the people who come out this early are obviously uh, politically engaged. Uh, Sherry Pleiss is a veterinarian. She and her husband braved the snow to go see Nikki Haley at a farm last week in central Iowa. She told me she likes Trump's policies, didn't care for how divisive he was as president. And then another setback for her is that he already served one term. Can you get anything done in four years? You know, can we hold on to it for eight years and get some policies moved through to undo a lot of the bad Democratic policies? So that's something I also heard from other people seeing Haley as well as uh, Ron DeSantis at these events last week. How has DeSantis been received in Iowa so far? Yeah, I mean, he's seen as perhaps the biggest challenger to Trump in 2024, even though, again, he's not yet announced his bid. Uh, privately, he met with state lawmakers at the Iowa Capitol when it was, he was here, had two pretty large public events, hundreds of people at each, uh, one in Davenport, one in Des Moines. Uh, he gave campaign-style speeches highlighting how he responded to the pandemic early on, banning mask mandates, vaccine mandates, and then opening schools early. Uh, he also mentioned policies he's passed in Florida, like the law critics dubbed Don't Say Gay. And he told the crowd those kinds of policies are what made him get reelected by an even larger margin in 2022. We just do the right thing, let the chips fall where they may. We fight back with the truth. And look, all I can tell you is, I got elected by 32,000 votes. I spent four years of them attacking me and me fighting back, and I won by 1.5 million. So I'm fine with that. And his message uh, spoke to Ron Shorg from Davenport. He says he wants DeSantis to make it official. I don't disagree with a lot of Trump's policies. 
but I think he's just too abrasive. He's got too much baggage right now to get anything done. And if he could get elected, I don't think he can get elected. And I should note, DeSantis was joined by Governor Kim Reynolds of Iowa for both those events. And uh, she said she'll remain neutral in this primary. And I expect to see her tonight in Davenport with uh, Donald Trump as well. That's Iowa Public Radio's Clay Masters. Thank you so much. And that's up first for Monday, March 13th. I'm Layla Falden. And I'm Sasha Pfeiffer. Up first is produced by Julie Deppenbrock, Katie Klein, and Ben Abrams. Our editors are Olivia Hampton and Alice Wolfley. Our technical director is Zach Coleman. Start your day with us again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Up First. You can find more in-depth coverage of the stories we talked about today and much more on NPR's Morning Edition. That's the radio show Steve Inskeep, A. Martinez, and I host with Michelle Martin joining us starting March 27th. Find Morning Edition and your NPR station at stations.npr.org.